0: The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to
1: another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined, I think this time from the road, maybe from uh, 76 or 476. I'm not sure, but I'm joined as always by Christopher Smalls Angelos. It's actually Monday night. You needed a you needed a full night to cool off I didn't hear from you for about uh, twelve hours after the Eagles Cowboys debacle are you are you better how are you today smalls you good
0: yeah big win for the union obviously they played at <laughs> three o'clock big comeback win against the Red Bulls uh just showed a lot of fight uh the city was obviously juiced up couldn't contain the streets the bars were packed and it was a big win for the union, and luckily everyone uh, after that game was able to get home at six thirty, eat some dinner, get in a good night rest, and we're ready for Monday. And all the sports talk's been about the union, so uh, you, you can't say much more about the city. It's just a great day to be a be a part of the Suns Ben, and um, you know, a proud <laughs> union fan here.
1: I love it, man. I love it. I looked up about a sports book before the podcast started, and I was like, it was like Will Smalls not talk about the Eagles. Yes, was minus a thousand. Uh, no was plus 10,000. So we won't we won't bore you.
0: Yeah, Union, obviously, first playoff victory, Bovada odds were, you know, not in our favor. Never really been able to handle New York, even when they come into town. And if you got the live line on Bovada, you know, halftime, it wasn't looking too good. The weather was coming down, and you know, you got some pretty good odds. I think it was like plus 470, and the Union pulled it out. So uh, cheers to the people who believe to, you know, infuse confidence <laughs> through their betting life. <laughs> Through Bovada into the Union, and again, love having the Union in town. Thank God for them. Uh, you know we're number one soccer city, obviously. And you
1: got you got uh, By the time this airs, we'll know. You know you've got Philly. Uh, the Flyers are home for the Golden Knights, I believe. Uh, you know, live TV game a- NHL net. And Smalls, let's talk about me for a second because I spent a lot of money. Let's talk about you. Spent a lot of money that I don't have to. Uh, Buy some World Series tickets, so I will be uh, in DC. I have Game Five tickets, so hopefully the Nets. Uh, well, if the Nets sweep, I'll be all right because I'll be there on Saturday night too, just not in the stadium. But it feels good to be on the other side of a winning team for once. And uh, have you ever
0: been to a World Series game?
1: No, this is a bucket list thing. Whoa. My my Whoa. mom, my mom actually won. The only reason I'm going is because they, they had all these like pre-sales and whatnot, and they did like a, a random ticket lottery, right? So I we all signed up. A bunch of people I knew signed up, and. uh you know, I, I signed up with the intention of taking BART, if BART, for those of you listening to the show, Daddy Vegas, you guys have heard him on here before, but actually my mom won the ticket lottery. Nobody else I knew won the opportunity to get tickets. And, you know, you get the opportunity to buy tickets for a, a very large sum of money, but I think it was worth it. You know, like I've told you and I've talked about on the show, I've probably watched 150 Nats games this year. So if there was ever going to be a time to punt some money and, and kind of check something off your bucket list, I, I would say going to a World Series game is good. Like I said, maybe the Nets sweep, and then uh, you know I never get to do it. But then I'm not out a lot of money. So now, what's
0: the what's the ritual for the like? Are you do you have your whole day planned out? Because I feel like you need to have like a whole day planned out. Like I'm getting to the ballpark at this time. What does that look like from your perspective today?
1: Well, they don't open the gates. The game's at 8:08. They don't open the gates until like 6:30. So I, I've already planned it. This is kind of weird, actually. And then we'll get into our guest, Aaron Toomey. Uh, interim head coach at Amherst, legitimately one of the best Division three players of all time and don't want to sell him short at all. Really unique situation this year as well with him being an interim guy and David Hickson taking a sabbatical. But getting back to me for a second, because I'm the most important guy right now, I yeah. think that, you know, Smalls, here's what I know. I'm going to go with the Steven Strasburg red jersey. Not a surprise. I've worn it to a lot of games, still have it, still kicks, new logo. Probably going to go with the Nats red quarter zip. Got to wear red. That's That's kind of how this works. I think because I'll be with my mom, I'm probably not going to get down to the bullpen and and drink beers for four hours, but I think we'll take the Metro down, kind of walk around, take it all in. I'm guessing the Nats will be up three, one at that point. So it'll probably be a clincher, you know, so I just want to be prepared. I'm going to have some coffee, make sure I'm amped up, probably take a portable charger with me so I can take a lot of pictures. And, you know, I, I think what's going to happen is, you know, probably around the eighth inning, I'm just going to try to get down, you know, so I can jump on the field for the presentation because they'll know that I'm there. So, you know, for my section 240 seats, you know hopefully the extra amount of money i paid will allow me to be you know maybe in the locker room spraying champagne so i'm actually really excited it's it's going to be a really cool thing i've i've never small i've never been to any sort of like world series super bowl stanley cup you know i've been to the final four obviously but yeah you know and, and nothing for a team that i care about like this so i think yeah. this this is this is a, the first, you know cuz the wizards are never going to get there it should be yeah you're right so this is the this is first for me, you know, and, and I actually happened to have been going into town anyway. I was going to be there. I had to be there in town for, sat, for Saturday for something, no matter what. So I was like, all right, it's fate, and let's just do it. You know, the guy, me, that doesn't believe in momentum, doesn't believe in clutch, you know, I just was like, all right, it's fate. Let's spend a lot of money on tickets. It'll be great. So. Let's make a believer. I need everybody to, uh, and, and thankfully, actually, Bovada played a role in, role in this too, and I am, I did hedge a little bit small, as we talked about this last week, I hedged a little bit to cover the cost of the tickets. So uh, not bad, you know, a a, a decent situation. But off me for a second, Aaron Toomey, small, young guy, 27 years old. And again, I think the situation here is like he is, he's taken over at Amherst, a a program that he was a national player of the year at, a program that's coming off a Sweet 16 appearance, 25 wins last year. They returned like eight of their top 11 players. And all of a sudden, at 27 years old, the coach that's been there for 42 years decides he's going to take a year off, and now you're in charge. And I, I can't I can't stress enough how cool this situation is for a guy like Aaron.
0: Yeah, it's very, very cool. Obviously, high pressure, but um, what a unique situation to find yourself in. And no better person than, I think, a, a guy, a person like Aaron Toomey. Just, you know, obviously, the playing background is huge, and there's so much – that you can say from the success he had as a player, but also the adversity he's faced. And to run a program that age, not just a program, an absolute elite juggernaut program uh, at the Division three level, high pressure, but this is the guy that you kind of want to do it. And uh, obviously Coach Hickson trusts him uh, to run it, and I think they'll have just normal success, the same success they always do this year. And I know he's looking forward to it as well.
1: Yeah, and I would say that I was pretty excited to get a chance to talk to Aaron about this situation just because, like I said, it's been, you know, Coach Hickson, 800-plus wins. And it's just interesting to see the faith that Coach Hickson has in a guy like Aaron. And, and we'll get into kind of what happened with his playing career. He was in Spain and then had an injury, and we'll let him tell the story. It's, it's a really amazing story. But, you know, Coach Hickson was the one that was like, hey, Aaron, why don't you come back and work for me? And and coaching, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of drug Aaron out of this kind of like dis- this hole that he was in because he couldn't play anymore. And I think it's really cool to see him now at this young age, kind of get an opportunity to go out and and kind of prove himself and get this on his resume. And, and I don't know, we don't know if this is it for Coach Hickson or not. We just know that this year is a sabbatical, and Aaron's coaching this year, and we'll see what happens after that. And I think that part of this story makes it so interesting and special. And like I said, they're returning a team that was twenty five and five last year and lost in the Sweet Sixteen to. Nichols, who went to the Final Four, so it's not like this is an inconsequential year. It's not a rebuilding year or anything like that. Like Aaron's going to have a team that can win the national championship.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. He's he's got a big opportunity in front of him. I've Obviously, a lot of work to do. Uh, I think as coaches, we all know just because you were twenty-five and five or you had a great year last year and you're returning guys, every year's a little different. Your approach with different challenges throughout the year, whether it's injury, it's off the court, or just situational playing time and things like that. And the ball bounces a certain way for you. It's how you really react and then adjust and build your team up. They're going to be in a playoff situation. They're going to be in a situation where they're going to be able to make an NCAA tournament run or a conference championship run. And it's how you're ready for that moment because there's going to be bumps in the road. First year head coach, uh, no doubt he's following the system and he's got a lot of support. But at the end of the day, you're the guy making the decisions. And as long as he can learn from those decisions early on and uh, you know, have, he'll have a lot of success at the end of the year. And uh, I think he has a lot of life experience to back up on that. And uh, much more than any kind of 27 year old head coach uh, out there currently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll get to the interview. As always, we are create your, at create your shot on Twitter, create your shot hot on Instagram, create your shot on Facebook and create your shot at gmail.com. If you do like what you hear, please do subscribe uh rate us five stars leave us a review so we can kind of get that ad money up make help me pay for these world series tickets uh other than that if you like what you hear i mean if you don't like what you hear you still do the same thing and then you never have to listen to us again as always we appreciate everyone who listens and enjoy this interview with aaron toomey the interim head coach at amherst college We are pleased to be joined by Aaron Toomey, currently the interim head coach of the Amherst Mammoths. Aaron, thanks for joining us. How are you tonight?
2: I'm great. Excited to be on. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. And you get to be the, you have the distinction of being the first interim head coach that we've had on the show. A lot of guys probably that follow, you know, whether, you know, Hoopter or anything like that, but follow division three, division two small college basketball are aware of kind of the situation that you're in but we'll just kind of dive right into it this is your sixth year at Amherst but just like I said very different situation you're taking on the role of interim head coach coach David Hickson who we've talked about on the show before is taking a little bit of sabbatical uh, I just kind of want to hear in your own words like kind of how this came about and when you found out you're going to be interim head coach and kind of what's happened since then
2: yeah it's uh, it's been a kind of a crazy journey the last couple months here obviously with everything that happened uh, you know coach Hickson Obviously, decided to take a sabbatical. It's kind of been twofold. um There's a lot of Amherst alums, or guys that have coached with Coach Hickson that are now in the NBA, doing doing great things. And um, he's always kind of wanted to have the opportunity to travel, and whether it's training camps, or games, or practices, uh go to all those things and see see what all of his guys, uh guys that played for him and coached with him, uh, are doing at the NBA level. So this gives him a chance to do that. He's already been out to Cleveland. Uh, he's been to Boston. Um, to check out training camps. and I know he's, he's planning on going down to Philly and maybe Sacramento and OKC too. So, uh, he's got a lot on his plate, um, in terms of traveling for all that stuff, but it's stuff he's always wanted to do and will be really cool. And then, you know, the second reason is dad, his dad's 90, his mom passed away last year. Um, and his dad, you know, being 90, that's, I mean, there's a lot to, to do to help him. Um, and Coach Hickson was kind of kind of the only only person in his family that lives in the northeast and um he didn't want to be half in helping his dad half in with Amherst basketball so uh the timing of it kind of worked uh worked out for that as well. Um but you know it's a great opportunity for me. I'm I'm incredibly thankful and grateful for the opportunity and i'm um, excited to see what what our staff can do this year with our squad.
1: How did they kind of tell you, you know, Aaron that this was going to be the way that it went? Like did Coach Hickson call you in and was he like I'm thinking about this or did he call you in and say like Aaron this is what's happening Congratulations, buddy. You're the first chair on the bench now.
2: <laughs> um, he brought me in, you know, late in the summer and said this was something that was kind of going through his mind or whatever. And, um, you know, that I think that was just, I think at that point he had kind of decided more or less and just wanted to kind of give me a chance to, to let it sink in and try to start preparing for, for what was to come. And then, you know, uh, probably about three or four weeks before it became public, he officially told me that it was going to happen and, Um, That was kind of that was a good three or four weeks where it wasn't public and people weren't asking questions or anything. And I could just kind of start to look forward and prepare for for this season. You guys are coming off
0: a 25 and five season and sweet sweet 16 loss to eventual final four participant Nichols College. What are the expectations for this year?
2: uh you know I think the expectations are pretty high uh we lost three three seniors last year that all were in the rotation um and they were all kind of uh they were big for us so it was six ten six eight, and six seven so uh, we lost some size and the six ten kid was was a great player for us um you know long athletic coordinated became just a, a force on the defensive end for us and the last two years you know we've been the number one in the country at the d three level um for defensive field goal percentage and he was he was a huge part of that so Um, you know, on the, there'll be some adjustments on the defensive side of things, but I think that that opens up some opportunities on the offensive end for us too. So, um, you know, I think the expectations are pretty high. We don't talk a ton about expectations within our team, um, but we do have a very experienced group coming back. Um, I think eight of our top 11 scorers and probably our top three or four scorers from last year are coming back. So, um, you know, I think outside expectations will be pretty high, but um, you know that's kind of where Amherst basketball is in the last twenty years. Every year, the expectations are pretty high.
0: That's the truth. You're not kidding. How has Coach Hickson helped you? Continually helped you in this transition.
2: He's been great. Um, you know, there's just as any first first time head coach, uh, there's a lot of questions and a lot of things you don't even you don't even realize are going to come up until you're you're in it and you're in that seat and you know you get a you get a administrative email that says you got to go to this meeting or do something and. Um, you know, you think you have a ton of time to, to sit in the office and prepare and get ready, but, um, then just a bunch of other stuff comes up, but he's been great helping me through all that stuff. And, you know, he's just, uh, he's a soundboard for me. Anything, anytime anything comes up, whether it has to do with basketball or not, he's, he's there to, to call or even, uh, call up and go out and have a beer or, uh, have breakfast with or something. So he's been great through the whole process.
1: Yeah. One of the things we kind of talked about uh, is that he's really the only thing that like Amherst basketball has known. You you told me kind of off the air that it's been, you know, this would have been his 43rd year as a head coach at Amherst. He was an assistant, went to Amherst. How do you keep from doing too much? Like, it does feel like this is a good bit of pressure. Like you're following a legend and, you know, Smalls and I work for Fran Dunphy and he kind of told us, you know, he followed John Chaney. And he said like the toughest thing to do is, to follow a legend. And I understand that this is a little bit of like limbo. It's not sure. Like, am I following him? Is he coming back? Am I going back into my role? But like for you, and especially a guy who was such a good player who dealt with a lot of pressure, like how, how do you keep yourself from trying to do too much and trying to be like, all right, well, I'm going to replace this guy or I'm going to fill his shoes because obviously all three of us know, like, that's highly unlikely to be the case just because, you know, he's got 820 plus wins and you right now have zero. So you know, how do you keep yourself how do you keep yourself grounded? How do you keep yourself from doing too much?
2: It's uh it's very I've learned that it's very hard not to try to do too much. Um, you know, as a first time coach, you wanna you wanna be incredibly over prepared and you know, there's there's things that, you know, the last five years as a coach for me that have kind of come come to mind and things that I wanted to try or do differently and now I'm realizing, you know, you can't do a hundred different new things. Um, so it's uh it's hard not to do too much, but at the same time, you know. Just try to keep it simple as best as possible. I think you know. Unfortunately, um, for the NESCAC, we we have to wait two over two more weeks uh, compared to everyone else. So that just adds more time where I'm sitting in the office trying to trying to not make myself do too much. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to not hard to sit here and not try to do more more than you should.
1: Yeah. What you know, we we've talked about the short lead time in the NESCAC before, and it's a little bit frustrating. I'm sure very frustrating for you. You know what what is on the list of things that are like in this short lead time that you guys have to kind of tighten up and get ready to go because you obviously have to hit the ground running right away. I think what November 1st,
2: November 1st is when we officially start. And yeah, like you said, there, there is no time to waste. Um, you know, thankfully our, our game this year is actually first game this year is actually later than usual. It's on November 19th. So, um, you know, we're going to have 14 or 15 full practices before the first game, which is more than usual, which will be good for me. And, um, but there's, you know, there's a lot to do, you know, um, defensively obviously is kind of where we've where we've been really good the last couple years and um, all that kind of stuff you know when guys are just playing pickup they don't they don't do rotations they don't guard ball screens the correct way or any of that stuff so there's a lot of cleaning up to do on that end but you also got to find time for the offensive end and putting plays in but uh, you know it's the little things that I think are going to sneak up on me whether it's you know zone offense press breakers situational stuff all the little things that, uh, might sneak up on me, but, uh, you know, there's no time to waste. Kind of got to hit the ground day one, start putting in plays and, um, start, you know, going over ball screen coverages and all that kind of stuff.
0: Are you, are you organized right now for, for practice? Do you have the (laughs) first 15 practices laid out like the scripted plays in football? Uh And then, you know, someone punches you in the mouth and you're like, I got to change all this stuff up. What's going Uh on with that?
2: So I got through the first four practices playing in those. And then at that point I was like, I mean, if I were to draw up the fifth practice right now, by the time November, by the time November 5th comes around, it's going to be something completely different. So um, I kind of stopped after four and I imagine after the first one, you know, two, three and four are going to change too. So uh, it's fine. I, I kind of expect that going in. I know, I know we're, we're laughing
0: about it a little bit, but that can be typical of a young coach where, Hey, you want everything planned out and you could plan out the first 15 practices and you don't realize that stuff's going to change. Like you're going to see stuff in practice. Guys might be out one practice and you've got to make adjustments on the fly. So it is good on you to realize, Hey, like I'm going to have to change stuff. We're going to have to work on different stuff as we go. And as we learn the team here, I want to actually, no doubt. I want to take it back to your time as a player. I mean, you were the, that dude, Amherst all time leading scorer, one national title, final four, 108 wins in four years, Two time national player of the year, I want to know what was your recruiting process like uh you know ended up going to Amherst, obviously, what was that process like for you?
2: um it was to be honest pretty frustrating process um you know when I was in high school i i looking back, I did not enjoy the recruiting process um and that was partially you know just like every kid out there, you know you work really hard to to you know hone your skills and you think you're a division one level player and that's the goal of everybody and um, you know, I had some opportunities to play at that level, but they just weren't they weren't the academic schools that, you know, me and certainly not my parents were hoping for me. Um, so those didn't work out. And then, you know, it got down to some low, low uh, academic D3s and a couple of IVs were still involved. But, um, you know, in the end, I didn't get quite the offer that I was looking for from the D1 level, which was you know frustrating and everything. But um, Amherst, I mean, the combination of the academics here at Amherst and the basketball um, is is really tough to beat. And looking back on it, uh, I have zero regrets. Like I I couldn't be happier with how things worked out. And um, you know, still being here says a lot about Amherst as a place and as a obviously the program that Coach Hickson's built. So really happy with how it all worked out.
1: Aaron, any thought? Obviously, you uh, people don't know this, but you're you're from North Carolina, and you know you played at a really small school. If I've done my research correctly. Probably, I, I would say I, I probably saw you play at one point in when you were in high school, just way back when, and, and don't know it. But any thought? Did you have any thought to like prep school at the time? Because it's, I mean, we can look back on it now, and it's not been that long. But like, you were very clearly a Division One player who ends up at Amherst, and like, good for Coach Hickson. and you know, Matt Oldsmith is probably really happy that you ended up at Amherst <laughs> as well. But like. Did you have any thoughts to like, hey, like maybe I'll run this back for one more year and maybe get another year of like another summer of AAU or something and try to sign late? Did any of that ever come in for you? Because like I said, it's, it's very clear looking back now that you were a Division One player. So I'm just wondering, like, did that cross your mind at all? Because that seems to happen so often now.
2: Absolutely. And it's funny because, you know, being from North Carolina, it's not like New England where we have the, the, all the prep schools up here. And um, I hardly knew anything about the opportunity to prep. Um, and I don't think my parents did. I don't think my high school coach really did. So, you know, the people that were, were helping me through the process, um, no one really knew that that was a, a legitimate option. Um, and looking back, you know, I got hurt between my junior and senior year of high school um, during the summer and played, I think I played one AAU tournament and one camp. Um, and it was coming off of a broken hand, broken right hand. Um, so it was, you know, shooting hand. And when I came back, it was just a disaster. So that was a tough look for me. And looking back, you know, the prep option would have been probably a good option for me um, to be able to play another summer of AAU and to play, you know, whether it's up here in New England or somewhere else at a, at a prep school. To give me just some more look, um, you know, looking back, that probably would have been a pretty good option for me. But again, wouldn't change wouldn't change a thing about you know how everything worked out.
1: Yeah, you know, in your college career, Smalls mentioned all the accolades, and I'm sure for years and years and years, every time people say like, "Oh my gosh, you were great," like you shrug it off and you just say thank you because coaches just deflect a lot of blame. But you did play on, you know, like I said, 108 wins in four years. but You played on a national title team, and you played on a, a team that went to the Final Four that year after. You know, now going into your first season as a head coach, what kind of lessons do you think you can take from those two teams? Whether it be you know chemistry or what you saw early in the season in terms of workers or whatnot, but like this was only 2013, so it's only been six years. Like it's pretty recent for you. Like, what kind of lessons are you taking away from those great teams that you played on to kind of teach your guys? You know, moving forward this year, you know, because the like we don't we don't need to sugarcoat it. You may not say this, but like you guys were 25 and five last year, and you know anything can happen after the Sweet 16. So like going into this year might be a lot of parallels.
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned, and especially from that national championship year, um, we had a really special team, and I think everyone going into that year thought that, you know, whether it was outsiders or, you know, our team um, within, but um, we lost two games we shouldn't have lost early on, and that was kind of an eye-opener for us, and Um, That changed our whole season, you know, after the second loss, it was basically back to back. I think there was one game in between that we won pretty handily, but um, two games within a week stretch that we lost. And um, we, we were all kind of in shock more than anything. And, you know, the captain sat down with the coaches and kind of talked through the whole thing. And it it became, it became an argument between the captains and the coaches and between the captains themselves. And it just kind of, it kept boiling and boiling. And, you know, guys were getting frustrated uh, with each other, just sitting in the office, um, and then it, then it kind of burst. It was one of our captains was like, he's a six ten guy that was really effective down low. He's like, the guards never give me the ball. Like I'm way better than I'm like getting the opportunity to show. Like I can help this team way more than I think. And it, it started boiling over and going back and forth and back and forth. And you know. Unfortunately, it took those two losses for that team to really, really come together um, and kind of hold each other accountable and be willing to say those types of things. Um, and when the captains were done, we had a full team meeting and it was the same thing. Things started to boil over and boil over. And then eventually, you know, at the end of the meeting, everyone was like, that's exactly what we needed. Um, so hopefully going forward in this year, we don't need too early losses to get to that point. But those, you know, having gone through that fairly recently, I think gives me – gives me some credibility with the guys to be like, look, I've been through this, I've, I've done it recently. Um, and we need to we either need to change this or do this differently or whatever it is. But I think those experiences will will drastically help um, kind of getting through some trouble this year if we have any.
1: Oh, that's good. Getting getting kind of back to you a little bit because you do obviously have a, you have a very unique story in terms of how you became a coach. But you leave Amherst, got all these accolades, you end up going to Spain to play pro basketball. Can you kind of talk about how that situation came about in Spain? Like, did you have a bunch of offers? You know, I know sometimes guys from small colleges, they got to go to showcases, they got to do different things. But for you, kind of like with your reputation, how was, what was the process for you getting a professional job after leaving school?
2: Um, It was, it was a process. Uh, It was a long process. And you know, after after my career, I knew, you know, coming from a small D3 school, it wouldn't be easy getting a job. But I also thought, you know, with the career I had and the numbers that I had to kind of back me up, I was like, all right, like, I'll I'll be all right. I'll find somewhere where I can kind of land. But uh, I ended up going to a showcase. I signed with an agent who works with a ton of D3 guys and was really good, but he, he sent me over to a showcase in Spain. And, you know, I, I left that showcase thinking I was like, all right, I'm going to get a couple offers in the next two days. Um, and that showcase was in June and I didn't have an offer until August like 15th. Um, and it was my only offer and it was in Spain and it was a great spot. Um, and Fuenlabrada was the city and 15 minutes outside of Madrid. So ended up being fantastic opportunity, but you know, it was a process, a frustrating process the whole time. Um, and I think that's, Unfortunately, just kind of the way that, you know, especially division three, but small college basketball is kind of looked at over here. You know, if they can get the backup point guard from, you know, Temple versus, you know, a starting point guard from a, a good division three team. They're generally teams over there are gonna do that. Um so and that to an to an extent that's understandable, but at the same time I think there's some guys that are missed out on for that exact reason. Um but it was a frustrating process, but it ended up working out really well. Like I said, I was in an awesome spot in Spain and um, you know while I was over there, it was uh, it was really fun, and I, I thought I was was adjusting to the game over there pretty well. Um, and then kind of ended too quickly, but um, yeah. Let me let me ask you before we do get into your injury. How, have
1: you focused a lot on that as an assistant, like helping guys out after college? You know, whether that be when you recruit them to start and then like take them through their careers, has that been something you've been able to focus on a little bit, like trying to help guys get more opportunities once they graduate? Because you kind of went through it.
2: Yeah, it is. And I think it's it's a good thing to be able to talk about, you know, my experience with it. And, you know, the fact that I know my agent, but I also got to know a couple other agents in the process. And, um, you know, I think that helps just to have some contacts. And, you know, we have several guys that end up wanting to go play overseas. And um, I think it, it helps. And I think it helps in the recruiting process when you can, you can say you've had that experience. And um, I think just hearing hearing that as an 18 year old kid, looking at, at colleges that you, you might have the opportunity to continue playing afterwards, I think is always a, a plus for those kids.
0: You're uh, just alluding to, you know, your injury that you suffered in Spain. If you don't mind just telling that story and then how you ended up, you know, coming back to Amherst and getting into coaching, we really love to hear
2: that. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was in November of the year I was over there. So I was over there. I went over in August. So it was about, four months, uh, of playing over there. And then, you know, it was kind of, it was just a freak accident, man. It was, uh, it was in practice and was going for a loose ball with one of my own teammates. And, um, you know, he, just as you do, when you're going for loose balls, you don't have, some people don't have full control of their limbs. And he was, you know, his arms were flailing and I got, I got hit with an elbow um, in the side of the head and, um, you know, just being, being a guy that was, you know, fighting for, for more opportunities over there and a competitor that didn't want to come off the court. I was, I wanted to jump right back into it, but thankfully they caught it. Uh, the, the trainer there caught it and, you know, made me sit out and the, the process from there gets a little crazy. Um, I was I was diagnosed, diagnosed with, by the trainer with just a concussion. Um, and he told me basically go home, rest, like get some sleep, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I went home, I lived with two other teammates, but they sent me home before practice even ended. So I went home, um, was by myself at home and, um, they came home later that night at, I don't know what it was. They must've gone to dinner after practice or whatever, but, um, I had been home apparently for, for a couple hours. Um, I guess I'll, I'll backtrack briefly. The last thing I remember in the whole process is walking into my apartment that night. Um, and then my roommate, when he got home, apparently I was not acting normal at all. So he, he called our trainer and the trainer came over to our apartment and took a look at me and was like, we need to get this kid to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, um, emergency surgery, not, it wasn't only a concussion. It was a shattered skull, blood clot on my brain. So I had to go right in to do surgery. Um, woke up the next morning and I'll preface it by saying I don't speak any Spanish. Um, and didn't learn any in the four months, to be honest. Um, so I woke up in a Spanish hospital, not knowing what happened, and there was no one there initially that spoke English. So that was probably one of the scariest uh, things that I've ever gone through. So I was laying in a, in a hospital bed um, in Spain with my head just throbbing and didn't know for probably 45 minutes to an hour um, until my agent showed up, actually. Um, and he basically told me exactly what happened. So, um, it was, it was a crazy process. And then I wasn't, wasn't able to travel, um, because of the surgery they did obviously for 30 days. So, um, another part of the story, my mom and dad were over there watching me for two weeks. It happened on a Monday morning, the injury, they flew home on Monday. So my mom landed in, in New York and had a voicemail from my agent saying, you know, this just happened. And she didn't leave the airport, basically just went back, got on a plane to Spain and came back. And she was she was great about it. I mean, she's she's a saint. She spent 30 days with me in Spain. And, um, you know, that was at a point where, you know, every every bit of light, every noise, everything bothered me. And I couldn't leave. I was in a dark hotel room, couldn't listen to music, couldn't watch TV, couldn't do anything. So she sat there and, you know, I slept most of the time and she couldn't leave me alone. So she just kind of sat there, too. So. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of credit for, to her for helping me get through all of it. But, um, I came home, I flew home just before Christmas. And, you know, the second I got, I got back on American soil, I had, I got a call from coach Hickson and, you know, he was very generous about the whole thing. He knew how much I loved playing and how much I was going to miss it. And, you know, how sad I was with the whole thing. But, um, you know, as soon as I got back, he, he called me and he was like, look, like take your time, no rush, but I want you to come join my staff. Um, and that was at a time when, you know, Matt Goldsmith and Kevin Hopkins, who you guys both talked to, they were on staff, but right before the season, Kevin Hopkins left to go, um, to the G league, uh, to work with Santa Cruz warriors. So there was a spot open on staff. So the timing of it all just kind of worked out really well. Um, and you know, it was one of those things that I'm sitting at home with my parents and I was like, I don't know if I can do anything at this point. Like I had headaches 24 hours a day for seven days a week for, you know, the first, five or six months of the whole thing of the whole recovery. So I was sitting there, I was like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can be in a bright gym, like just standing there, None, like forget the bouncing balls and, you know, the crowds and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then I had a conversation with my dad a couple days later and he was like, look, like you knew you wanted to get into coaching all along. And this is, I mean, this is an opportunity for you. Obviously it sucks how everything worked out, but, um, he kind of, he made me realize that this was something that I had to do. Um, it was something that I had to take this opportunity and um, to come up here. And, you know, my second family was here, uh, Coach Hicks and Goldie, the team, the guys that I was so close with the year before. They were they were all here, and they were great in the process to help me kind of get through it all, get through all the troubles that I had and the struggles that I had. But, um, you know, it was great. I, I owe certainly Coach Hicks and everything. Obviously, he gave me my first shot at coaching and um, has now given me Uh, my first shot at being a a head coach too. No, that's,
0: that's awesome. And I think, you know, you hear it in basketball circles all the time that, you know, it's beyond basketball. It's always, you know, a a second family, like you just mentioned, but it sounds like you had such a great support system between, you know, your father, your mother, and then, you know, coach Hickson. Sometimes when that happens to you, I know we talked to Mark Titus It's a different situation, but, you know, you can be in a dark place for a while and you need other people to kind of pick you up and take you out. And sounds like that's exactly what happened. How did you kind of, you know, grab the bull by the horns once you got to Amherst? Uh, you know, how did Coach Hickson kind of lead you into coaching? How did you learn? How did you grow in that first year?
2: Um, I grew a lot. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't deal with the whole thing very well. Um, you know, giving, giving up basketball was – was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, you know, when the doctor told me you'll never play again, that was, you know, at that point I thought I had just like basically lost everything. Um, but you know, at the same time, when I first got to, to campus, back to campus here at Amherst, the first thing coach did coach, it was at the beginning of a practice. So I showed up at like three forty-five on a Tuesday or something like that. And we had practice at four. Um, so I obviously saw coach Hickson in the office right before we went down to practice and, We got down to practice. He didn't even tell me ahead of time, but he got down there. He told all the guys the situation. um, And then he was like, all right, Aaron's running the first drill. This is what we're doing. So I didn't have time to think about it. He threw me right in the fire. And it was, uh, I think that was the best thing for me. Um, You know, it took, it honestly, it took me a couple of years to to get over it and realize like that everything does happen for a reason. And that I'm really fortunate um, to be here and to be in a, in a great spot at Amherst. But Uh, To kind of just be thrown into the fire like that was, was, I think, the best thing for me. How
0: did you work through it on an individual level? Just, you know, I know you said it took a couple years. Was it day-by-day process, doing different things? And just that's got to be, like you said, one of the hardest things, something that's been so prominent in your life, like basketball, just completely taken away from you. How did you kind of deal with that process for those couple years? Aaron, you, you can't like, can you play pickup? Like if it's like
1: a, a non like not competitive game, like can you get in and play? Or? Yeah, I,
2: I can get back out there and play now. Um, I'm very conscious about, you know, where I go. And, um, you know, not that I wasn't a three point shooter beforehand, but I don't spend much time in the paint <laughs> these days. So uh, uh, I can play, but it's, uh, I'm certainly careful about the whole thing.
1: Did you when you came back over like did you have to did you go anywhere else for like more testing and stuff like or you know once in Spain they said like hey this is kind of our recommendation like that that was kind of a hit
2: Um no I came back I came back and I met with a doctor in North Carolina and then when I moved obviously up to Amherst I, I had to meet with a doctor in Boston um, once every three months for so four times within a year, um and then after that he was basically like you're good unless you have issues come back and see me so um there was there was some uh, visits back to doctors uh, just to make sure I was on the right track and didn't have any setbacks or anything like that yeah it's just uh,
1: i i sorry, I kind of like stepped on Smalls' question because I am curious about it too like we like to talk a little bit more about self care on this show than I think people kind of get into sometimes because I think everyone just assumes coaches are super happy but you know, now people are probably looking at it and they're like, oh man, like Aaron Toomey, like, of course he's a 27 year old head coach, but like in your mind, like you probably thought you were still going to be playing pro ball at 27. And I mean, how was it for you to be excited about coaching? Cause I I mean, for like a guy like Smalls and I, like we're not, you know, we, none of us were very good players. Smalls is a pretty good player in high school, but like for you, you know, I, I can't imagine like we would be really excited to come to work. And I'm not saying that you're not, and you haven't, and not that you haven't been, but like, what was the process like for you to be like? All right, I'm I'm going to go at this every day, and I'm going to get the competitive spirit that I need to get from coaching. Like, what was that process like for you to be like really enjoying it and not being like, damn, I wish I was playing
2: hard. Um, and that I didn't get to that point where I, you know, obviously I was bought in with on the team, and when I was in the gym, it was you know business. But um, there, there's, I mean, still to this day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about the injury and think about the, if I would still be playing, where I would be, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's still not, not easy, but uh, I think there was, there was a time probably two years ago, two and a half years ago, um, where it just kind of hit me. Uh, I forget where I was. I was at home, I think just laying on the couch or laying in bed or whatever. And it just kind of hit me that, you know, things really do happen for a reason. And I know that's very cliche and um, but when when something like this happens to you and you know what you love most gets taken away you you kind of you're forced to be a, a true believer in that and you know there's there's a higher power that's got a process for everybody here and um, the the process and uh, the way it was supposed to be for me was unfortunately to get injured and to you know come back to Amherst and coach and uh, now it's led to the opportunity to have a year of being the interim coach so you know who knows? Like if I was still playing over there, you know, my my next goal was to to get into coaching and be a head coach as soon as possible. I might not have gotten to be a head coach until I was in my 40s. So like there's you know, everything does happen for a reason. And, you know, you don't always realize that right away. Um, it's really hard to realize that right away. But um, true believer in that now um, that everything does happen for a reason and that um, I'm just really lucky to to be where I am. Guys, we've got to
1: take a quick break. As always, a big thank you for listening to the show. We'd like to ask a small but very important favor of you. It'll only take a few minutes, and if you're one of the first people to do it, Podcast One will make it worth your time. We need you to complete a short survey because the information you give us can help make things better for the show and for you guys as listeners. Just go to podcastone.com slash survey, and everything will be right there for you. That's podcastone.com slash survey. The first 250 people who complete the survey will get a $10 gift card to amazon.com, and two grand prize winners will be selected at random to get a $100 gift card. How about that, guys? Free money. It's a win-win. You guys know we love talking about free money on this show. Our shows are supported by advertisers, so filling this out will really help us cater to the needs of you as a listener. So please go to podcast one survey, answer some questions along the way, and potentially make some money. Thank you guys for being dedicated listeners. And now, back to Aaron Toomey. What were some of the things that came easiest for you as an assistant? Like when you got there, you know, obviously young guy and you're working through some stuff, but, you know, aside from just being an, I'm sure you were very good on the court as most people are, obviously, with your kind of playing pedigree. But in terms of the rest of the stuff that comes with being an assistant, whether it be like recruiting, scouting, game planning, you know, administrative stuff, like what came easy for you and and what did you have to work on to make sure that you were really good at?
2: Yeah, I think scouting came pretty easy to me. Um, Scouting was something, you know, that I was, somewhat involved in when I was a player I would love to talk to whether it was Goldie or K-Hop or Coach Hickson you know prior to games I'd be like this is how we should guard this or this is they're playing defense this way I think this is going to work all that kind of stuff and would have the same conversations with them at halftime of a game talking about adjustments and things that we should do differently so um, I like to think that you know I was thinking about those things well before I became a coach and that that made that transition really easy for me you know when I was doing scouts or you know during games to to give some suggestions and obviously wasn't wasn't my say and not all of them were were accepted or recognized but um you know that kind of stuff just just the way the way I saw the game kind of came easily to me I think the recruiting part was was a little difficult um just in terms of you know I thought like I said earlier my recruiting process was a little frustrating and my goal was to try to to avoid all help kids avoid all the feelings that I had and the frustrations that I had and you know, I've certainly gotten better with it in time, but I think that was, that was the hardest part for me at first.
0: Obviously you're in, you know, in the interim spot right now, but you have a bright future ahead of you, young guy, 27 years old. How are you, you know, setting those career goals and what ultimately are they after this year?
2: Yeah, I don't really, I don't do a ton of career goal setting. Um, I haven't thought too much long-term, um, about where I want to be or what I want to do, certainly coaching and continuing to be a head coach. Um, You know, I think after this year, it's uh, I'm going to get that, that itch where it's going to be, you know, a little hard to go back. And I might go back to being an assistant coach, who knows, but like um, continue whether it's next year or a year for a year later or whatever, just be, just find the right spot for me as a, as a kind of a more permanent head coach. And um, other than that, you know, I haven't thought too much about the long-term future, just trying to, I think uh, there's enough on my mind to to focus on this year right now. That's the
0: truth. That's the truth. Well, you know, that's what you have to do, right? We always talk about, you know, within the job, like what's now and winning now. That's the most important thing. Like having a good program, obviously you're in a good situation, but you know, you got to be successful in this year and then it will open up a ton of doors in the future. But yeah, you're set up and you're ready to go. And I can totally, not that I've been a head coach, but I can totally understand that, once you're in that chair, it's probably hard to go back down.
2: Yeah, yeah, but we'll see what happens.
1: Aaron, I have one. I just have one final question. I, I know I said I was done, but I have one final question before we go into segments. Uh, obviously, you're, I don't know, you might have some seniors that are 22 and 23. How do you kind of separate yourself from your players right now, especially with them kind of? Obviously, the season hasn't started yet, but how do you kind of separate yourself going from being like maybe that lead assistant that kind of is really good and leans on guys and they can go to for all the stuff to now kind of being more like the CEO? How how has that been for you over the last kind of like three to four weeks? Because it is a very different dynamic when you go from assistant to head coach.
2: It is. Um, you know, I think it's that was really a struggle early on when I first came back and coaching the guys that, you know, the last year, Saturdays, I was out hanging out with them. So I knew exactly what they did on the weekends and all that kind of stuff. And that's obviously the guys that I played with are gone now, which makes that a little easier. And, um, you know, I think the the meetings that we've had as a team this year, I think the group of guys that we have is really special. And, you know, they all love Hicks, obviously, and we'll, we'll miss him quite a bit. But they've all bought in to, to me and to the rest of our staff. And I think they're really excited about it, too. So uh, I think the transition has been because of our guys been made fairly easy for me
1: okay awesome uh we'll go into coach speak smalls i got i got two of them first one real short obviously had to take a quote from the nats world series run just that's all i'm going to talk about until they either win or lose next week but smalls this is a real short quote for you two two sentences but like 10 words
0: yeah way too long for me two sentences no good often bumpy roads lead to beautiful places this is a beautiful place. It was Davy Martinez, obviously the Washington Nationals, National League champion. Tyler, I'll make sure I say that. Hopefully World Series champion. Uh, but this, of course, applies to you the most. And, uh, you know, we already talked about kind of how you handled the hand you were dealt. What types of advice would you give to players whose playing careers may have been cut short prematurely?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I certainly understand that. Um, I mean, my advice and it's way easier said than done um, looking back on it for me, but uh, just to try to take everything in stride. Um, you know, like I said earlier, I get that there's, there's a much bigger picture out there for all of us. Um, for some of us, for some people it's to play basketball until they're 40 something years old. For other people it's to play until they're 22 and then get hurt and then get into coaching. So, um, you know, there's, there's bumps along the way for everybody and um, e- well, like I said, way easier said than done, but just to try to take everything in stride and realize and recognize that you know, everything happens for a reason and something good's going to come out of it.
1: You know, and it, it's funny too, there's so many stories and so many guys at the high, higher levels of sports too, that, you know, they were big time prospects or they were really good players and things happen. And then, you know, everyone's career is going to end someday. So it's like, well, if unfortunately, if yours is earlier, you get to get started in that second phase faster and maybe get to the top of the second phase faster than, you know, people who might otherwise not get there, I guess. And so I, I think about that a lot, you know, and you know, even like a guy, the one guy that comes to mind is Rocco Baldelli. He's the manager of the twins. And like, he was a really big time prospect kind of flamed out, always was injured. And now he's like a manager of a major league team and he's older than he's younger than some of his players. And like, that stuff is, it's very cool. You know, that, that kind of like second lease on life out of the sport that, you know, maybe you felt was very unfair to you. So I think, you know, Aaron, I think that advice is really good. And I I totally, I'm, I mean, I think it's awesome how you've handled it really, just in terms of talking to you about
2: it, because I think it's it's so crazy, but yeah, I appreciate it. No, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's been an easy process, um, certainly, but, uh, I think, you know, when I take time to look back at it, you know, like I said, there's, there's bigger things to come. And, you know, now that now in the spot that I'm at, uh, you know, I'm just bigger believer in that now.
1: Uh, last one, this is from Will Muschamp and obviously he's become a very, he's become one of our favorites on create your shot. He's just a quote machine. Uh, this is from them losing to Florida. He was not happy with the officials. He said, I don't want to take anything away from Florida. They won the game. Nothing I'm going to say is going to change anything. We all saw what happens. The calls are in the conference office's hands. <laughs> How are you going to do with the officials, Aaron? Yeah, you know, what's the demeanor? Time? Yeah, chair, chair 1, I'm curious. Oh. Has Coach Hickson given you any advice? How were you as a player with officials? What do you think? This is going to be the first time
2: an official's even going to
1: listen to you without pointing you back to your seat.
2: All right. You know what, what? Let's hear it. Yeah. uh, Well, Hicks hasn't really given me too much advice. He was was a mastermind when it came to officials. And, you know, if I was an official, I probably would have teed him up in every game, but he probably got one in my time, nine years playing and coaching with him. Um, So he's, I don't know, he had a way with officials and way of saying things that, you know, he didn't get in any trouble with those guys. Um, As a player, I was very, very vocal and I probably shouldn't have been and wasn't vocal in a, in a great way, probably, but, um my goal and this is probably a lofty goal um at this point but is to not worry too much and not speak too much to the officials um you know my for my time as an assistant coach being a ref at some of these elite camps and all the camps that I've worked uh I realize it's not not an easy job so um try to take it fairly easy on them and stay focused on the, on our team and uh what we need to do but like I said uh probably a pretty lofty goal <laughs> did you get star calls at the division three level? Uh, I didn't feel like that. That's why I was pretty vocal with the refs. I was not happy with most of the calls that um, I didn't get. Um, but, you know, it worked out.
0: All right. Awesome. I, I'm excited to watch it. I just, I, you know, I want there to be like a tweet that Aaron Toomey just gets thrown out of a game, just completely leaves his <laughs> mind. I think that would be awesome. It'd be good for the brand.
1: That'll come back to this, yeah. <laughs> is one of your assistants, like, Do you have you already designated who your holdback guy's going to be? Because, like, obviously you need one of your assistants to be that guy for you when you do, because you're going to get mad, like, you're competitive. I mean, everybody does, but who you, you, you told one of your assistants, like, all right, you got to grab me if I ever, you know, go go off?
2: I haven't yet, but that's, uh, that's on the to-do list is to figure out which one of my assistants is going to be that, and I certainly am not going to have the leash that Coach Hickson had, so... Um, it's going to have to be a quick, you know, two words in, you got to grab me coach pra- practice three. That's what you got to actually, ask. that's actually a good point
1: though, is that like a lot of officials, if you've had the same officials for a couple of years and they always do the NASCAR, like they may, they may have it out for you a little bit, like thinking like, Oh, this guy thinks he's going to come in and act like David Hickson. Like I'm not gonna let that happen. And you know, officials are just jerks in general. Like they're just ready to run you. So it's, that's actually a really good point. Aaron.
2: That might be what happens uh, practice three, you know, after practice one and two, when I have to change the ones I've already planned out for four and five, three, four and five, I'll start, I'll start putting in uh, you know, I'm going to get mad at a ref. You got to, you got to get there and hold me back in time. Oh
0: yeah. That's what, I, that's what I was saying. Like you got to, and you can't tell your assistants about it, but you got to say, listen, at some point practice three through five, I'm going to go crazy and I'm going to need someone to grab me. I'm going to time it. And then <laughs> however much time you take, that's how many suicides you're going to run. In 30 (laughs) seconds, you got to hit one suicide. It takes you a minute, two suicides. And that's the way you do it. No, I'm just giving you pro tips. But here's another pro tip you're going to give me, a little city review action. Amherst, Massachusetts. I'm pumped about it. Amherst, everyone talks about big academic. I'm looking at the restaurant scene, maybe. Maybe a little nightlife and an activity. Give me three restaurants, two night spots or bars, and one activity. And this is actually the second time
1: Amherst has been a city review. Dwayne Killings, Marquette assistant, born and raised in Amherst, went to UMass. He also did it, and then Pete Lapis shouted out some Amherst stuff too because he was there when his dad was the head coach at UMass. So this is we're getting familiar with UMass. I Love it, yeah,
2: yeah. We're gonna have some good things here. I think uh, you know you talked about small school, small area. I think you know you throw UMass in there with forty, almost forty thousand kids, it becomes a pretty big uh, college city town. So it's a it's a happening place for sure. Um, you know the three restaurants. I'll start there. Um, I'll start with Antonio's pizza. Yeah. You might've might heard that from another guy, I've, but, I've eaten there. Um, it's hard not to mention that. It's hard not to mention that one. And, um, you know, just don't go at like one o'clock on a Thursday through Saturday AM. Um, or else you'll be in line for about an hour and a half. Any other times a great time I, to go. It's so
0: it, everyone loves that. And listen, I went to UMass basketball. I Pete Labs. My boy, we went to UMass basketball camp. He's like, you got to come to Antonio's. We're like 11, 12 years old I'm going in there. I eat it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is it just because it's there like are this, mixed reviews. It is
2: the spot though. Like everyone's there. It is. Like it's rolling. Yeah. Yeah. It's right in the middle. It's like right in the middle of all the bars. And it's just I mean, it's the place at, you know, one AM every night you're gonna you're gonna want some pizza. So, uh that's the place to go. Uh second one, I'll go Johnny's Tavern, a little more more upscale. Um, but it's a great place to go. We used to go after games all the time and um, you know, when your parents are up here watching games, that's, that's the place you want to go. Uh, cause you're not going to go there generally as a college student, um, without, you know, the parents putting the bill. So, uh, but Johnny's Tavern's a great restaurant. Um, last one, uh, I'll get out just slightly outside of Amherst here is Joe's cafe, about 10 minute drive away. But, um, it's, uh, it's just a local Italian joint that is just fantastic. Um, and you go there think they got a deal every night so you go there on Wednesdays I think is uh spaghetti and meatball and uh for like five bucks or something like that so uh pick and choose the right days to go and it's uh, it's a cheap great meal
0: now all coaches love Italian food they're you know everyone's got an Italian restaurant or two on the city review but you got to give us your go-to entree item at an Italian restaurant what are you getting
2: yeah I mean at Joe's it's generally what's on special um Especially since I've been, you know, an assistant coach that hasn't been making a ton in the past. But you know, when when i when I have my choice, it's the chicken parm, and it's uh, it's there incredible. You go. I love it, chicky chicky parm parm. Love it. <laughs> uh, the night, na- <laughs> the night spots. um I'll preface it by saying my my night spots have changed drastically since my time as a student. um There used to be the bars in town where all the UMass and Amherst kids would go, and those were great but now as a coach you kind of got to be careful about where you're going because you might run into your guys and all that kind of stuff so uh spend a lot of time at the local breweries uh progression brewery is great in northampton and then um you know i think i'd get in trouble if i didn't say new city brewery which is in east hampton but uh new city brewery is owned by uh willie workman's dad who willie workman played with me for three years he's like one of my best friends and still playing in israel so i think uh if I didn't give them a shout out, I'd hear from it, from those guys. <laughs> that's smart. That's
0: really, that's smart of you to do. You know, you may have just bought yourself another beer. So good work by you. That's, that was my goal with the whole, the whole thing there. All right. You owe coach two beers. Just say, create your shot at the door. You know what I mean? <laughs>
2: <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, one activity, the activity was a little tougher for me to, to think about um, this time of year. I went with this time of year for my, my activity just because it's beautiful here right now. You know, it's not too cold yet. The leaves have changed. It's, you know, we're in the Pioneer Valley. So everywhere you look, there's mountains and there's great views. Um, so anything outside, you know, there's great places to go on hikes. There's a great bike path where you can go on a run or take a bike or uh, take a bike out and go on a ride. Um, and if we're in the summer, we always, every summer we float down the Deerfield river, grab a float, um, grab a cooler, go out there and, you know, hang with everybody when we, you know, all the coaches aren't aren't uh, tied up with all their work. So uh, those are the two activities I'll throw throw out there.
1: Pretty good, pretty good, Smalls. That's, a, I mean, all we ever heard of was ass, so we'll do it as an adult this time. <laughs> all right, uh, ten touches, thirty second rapid fire question and answer. I have the first five. Uh, who's the funniest teammate you've ever had?
2: Funniest teammate, I'll go with uh my classmate Logan Buckner. He was in the uh the improv group here at Amherst and was just, I mean, everything he said was laugh out loud, funny. Improv
1: that's pretty good. Amherst improv group? I like it. What's he oh, doing, yeah. now? Tell oh, yeah. doing yeah, now? Tell me he's
2: still doing improv now. Tell me he's he is he is not. Uh there's a couple people from the improv group that are still doing improv. He is not one of them.
1: Uh man. What's your worst travel experience uh, in basketball? Um
2: it's probably our bus trip from Hamilton to Middlebury a few years back, it was, you know, the end of January, we were in a nor'easter where we had, you know, during our game at Hamilton, I think we had probably a foot of snow, um, accumulate on the ground. And then we had a game at Middlebury the next day at 2 PM. Um, so there was no choice but to drive the, it was like three and a half hour drive and we were slipping and sliding and everyone was like, all right, this is probably the end of, end of us. Like we're just somehow going to, Slide off this road and uh, be done, but uh, somehow we got there. It probably took us five and a half hours rather than three or three and a half, but uh, got there at probably two fifteen two thirty in the morning got up went went and played the next day, so it was a terrible trip, but uh, we made it did you guys win honestly i don't remember, I think so, <laughs> but i don't remember
1: probably probably did probably did win probably did win if you don't remember i, I yeah a, you a- remember the losses. Yeah, that'd be my game. I mean, you only lost like thirteen times, right? So there's not that many to remember.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, odds are that we won.
1: Uh, what TV show you binge watching if you have time?
2: Uh, I'm not right now. I'd love any suggestions, though. Um, I feel like I'm going to need something after after practices. Go home and watch an episode of something. Um, so if there's any suggestions, oh man, I love I got to hear a million.
1: Them. What do you got, Smalls? What are you bingeing? Give, really... give me your top top two. Oh top man, two.
0: it depends. Where you into What are you into? Documentaries? Are you into like shows?
2: <laughs> More shows. Okay.
0: Well, Ozark. I mean, that came out a while ago, but I I really like Ozark. I've always been a fan of that. Um. So I would go. I would go Ozark. I would start with that. Uh, I don't like being put on the spot when people ask me questions like this. So Tyler, give them a <laughs> Amazon Amazon Prime, uh
1: the boys. It's a show kind oh, of a superhero yeah. it's a new it's like a new take on a superhero show where like the superheroes are they're like good guys, but also kind of like a corporation. It's it's uh you'll love it. Interesting. It's a good that's a good one. It's a quick it's a quick walk. There you go.
0: There's two right there. I love
2: it. Look at us. Fantastic. What would you be doing if you weren't working in sports? Uh, trying to find a way to get in the sports world. Uh, (laughs) I mean, my, my life since I was, you know, two years old, I had an older brother that was all sports too. And, uh, my life always revolved around a ball or some sort of sport. And, uh, I'd be, I'd be trying to do my best to find a way into the sports world. Actually, let me, let me amend
1: this question for a second. Aaron, you, like you said, you've, you've coached, you've played. How many paychecks have you drawn from something that wasn't like, Pro basketball coaching, working a basketball camp. Like, have you had any other jobs in your life that were not like? Oh, and I don't right. mean like I don't mean like you mowed the lawn for your neighbors and they gave you twenty bucks. I mean like, have you ever drawn a paycheck from something that wasn't basketball took related?
0: Taxes out of your check,
2: correct? Uh, um, I had an internship at a, a kind of a financial firm between my junior and senior year of uh, college. Uh, so that would that would be my only experience, and that was kind of what told me and verified that i was not meant for sounds like anything outside it. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a good. great experience great experience wish <laughs> i could go back
1: <laughs> all right who's the best player you've ever played against um
2: you know i played in high school i played against chris paul was one of the was like best friends with our jv coach so he came to a couple of pickups played against him so i'd say him but in terms of like playing against you know, Duncan Robinson was pretty good, but yeah. I certainly can't give this honor to a Williams player. Um, so I'll go with Joey Flannery from Babson. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. The
0: rivalry runs deep. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I really should have just said myself if I was in my own head. That was my worst sentiment. Yeah. And that's like, you know, propping yourself up. But I like it. I like it. Shots fired at Williamson. We'll make sure we get it on Twitter. If you
2: could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Mm, I'm going to throw two things out there. I know you asked for one, but I would add a four-point line, and I'm a little biased on that uh, because that's all I do now when I go play pick-up to shoot from as far away from anybody else as possible. <laughs> um, and then the the other thing I would add is I would add the coach's challenge, and that becomes a little uh, tough at the D3 level without instant replay right there. But I'd love to see some coaches at the D1 level just, just throw a flag right onto the floor and just be like, stop play, go look at that. Coach.
0: I love I love that you just, and Tyler can agree. I love those; those are new. I don't think they've been suggested yet. We asked this question, to everybody, right, Tyler?
1: Yeah, I, we had a we played a game at Rhode Island back. I was this. I was still in college. I think I was a junior. And Smalls, I think you were at this game. Yeah, like, we
0: played a game at Rhode Island. Who's the lefty? Dude dunked all over us.
1: With oh, Kahim? No, Olmer. I don't. I don't remember. But no, Delroy James. Delroy James. Delroy James. Oh. But but Aaron. So. Something happened, like the ball went off somebody or whatever. And Coach Dump, like he called the ref over and was like, you know, can you take a look at that? Can you go to the monitor? And the guy said, like, all right, if I go to the monitor, but you're wrong, like you lose the timeout. And he said something nah. like the lines of like, he was like, What is this? Like a fucking coach's challenge or something? Like I'll that <laughs> out in, in post. But yeah. it was the only time I'd ever heard something like that, because they don't do that anymore. Guys will take timeouts now to try to get guys to go to the monitor, I think. But I had, like, never – I had, like, never heard that before. And the guy was like, all right, well, you lose it. And he was, like, dead serious. I don't know if it was <laughs> Smalls. Maybe it was Gene Steratore, and that's why he did it. He was just – Yeah, he geez. just wasn't – because he just wasn't sure.
0: Fun, funny guy. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want it to be a flag, though. I think it should be, like, a curling, like, item. Like,
2: just <laughs> okay. it I'm open for all suggestions. I like the curling there, but, uh... item.
0: I think we got to be a little different than the NFL and college football, obviously. So, I think – I like this a lot. We're going to have to find the mechanism that really – stays on brand for college basketball. It'd be, so, it'd be so hard to do, though, because, like, it's not as free – it's so free-flowing,
1: you know? Like, if somebody – how, how do you challenge, like, if a ref, like, misses a call, will they just stop play when you throw your, you know, you throw your basketball flag out on the court? Do they just immediately stop it and look or what, you know? because that, Maybe that's,
2: coach, coaches just have a whistle, and once oh, they blow it one yeah. time and use their challenge, <laughs> then it gets taken from them. I love it. I love it. Chaos.
0: Hey, I love it. I got to move it. All right, best moment as a coach
2: um i'll go last year the the williams game here at home our first williams game uh coach hickson wasn't coaching so i was i was the head coach and um not because of that necessarily but just because of what it meant for everybody especially coach hickson his mother just passed away and um he couldn't be at the game and for an amherst williams game you know uh he it was killing him inside i'm sure to not be there and the first time anyone other than coach hickson had coached been the head coach of a game at amherst for 42 years so um, I think just everything that that game meant and the fact that we were we were down 10 with, like, six minutes left and found a way to come back to win was was really cool and uh, certainly a fun first game as a quote-unquote head coach.
0: Hey, I know we're adding on some uh, ancillary questions here, but I, w- I want to ask something. Not the national championship win and not really the best moment as a player. What is one game you can pinpoint where you were at abs- like, you could throw the ball from anywhere and it was going to go in? Like, was there, did you ever have a game where it was like, I could literally shoot from half court right now with a guy in my face and just, boom, sprinkle him on my Yeah,
2: um, there were a couple of those games. I think uh, the it was an NCAA tournament game against Morrisville State, uh, the one that kind of jumps to my mind at first. And it was more of, rather than the whole game, it was more just like a three-minute stretch. Um, I remember making like three or four threes, a pull-up jump shot, and a layup in like a three-minute stretch. And the game was tied, and then it, all of a sudden it was like, 16 or something like that and I it was just I mean it was fun they called two timeouts during the stretch and it was just one of those games and one of those stretches where it's just like I'm not passing I'm just gonna shoot it and see what happens (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: I'm jealous I just wish I could feel that way and you missed a big opportunity to be like it was always against Williams. Those guys stink. Uh, but Thomas, I've, I've
1: seen you. I've seen you have some of those on the ten cup beer pong table before. Where we you know, call some. It <laughs>
0: was, was a long time ago, but yeah, yeah you, you know, I've had to have some of those moments. Can't really remember them. Pre game routine. <laughs> what, what do you have? A pre game routine? Do you have something set that you kind of do? As a
1: coach, as a co- yeah, as a coach, not
0: a
2: player. Yeah, I go I go out to brunch every every game day uh, at the same spot and. Um, you know, it's a, it's become a good tradition for me to get, to get out of the office and try to get my mind off it as best as possible.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Last coach who texted you, what did they say?
2: Ooh, I think it was my, I'm going to go. I think it was my high school coach that texted me and he texted me basically saying that his best player just tore his ACL playing football. He was devastated and uh, he just, he wanted, wanted someone that that he could vent to and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, I think that was my, my last text from a coach like yesterday or two days ago, um, but it wasn't it wasn't a great uh, exchange, obviously. No, not great at all. That
0: sucks. Uh, bet, what's your best bar game? I'm talking darts, shuffleboard, pull one of those. You have a game?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at darts and ping pong, but those are probably my best two. I would say the one I enjoy the most, though, is bubble hockey. Oh, um, oh great ad. So. I'm not. I'm not sure that's my my best game, but that's the one I'm going to go with here because I enjoy it most.
0: Well, at the f- Final Four, we have a Create Your Shot Decathlon, so we're asking all the coaches. You'll obviously be automatically entered into uh, a couple events, and Bubble Hockey looks like you know you're taking on. A, we're going to have to get some Midwest coaches on here, Tyler. It,
1: I was I was going to say that's something I don't I don't see bubble hockey a lot of places. There is one bar in Nashville. It's a place called Clyde's, and they do have a bubble hockey. It's free. It's a lot of fun, but nobody plays it. Like nobody plays it down here.
2: So it's, it's- underrated. It's underrated and underappreciated.
1: Yeah,
0: no, <laughs> I totally agree. Hey, two podcast guests we need to have on.
2: Um, first guy I'll go with is uh, Steve Ongley. Uh, he's up at Dartmouth. He's just he's a great guy. He was in the NESCAC for a while and. Um, I think he would be, he would be funny. He'd be, he'd be a great guy to interview. Um, Second person, I don't know if you guys get into the women's side at all, but our, our women's coach, G.P. Kromacki would be a very interesting interview. Um, I mean, he's unbelievable coach. One, I don't know. He went two seasons where he didn't lose a game, went 66 and 0 and won two national championships. So the success certainly speaks for itself, but he's just, he'll have some interesting things to say if you can ever get him on the show.
1: Yeah, he has he has like twenty losses in the last like twenty years. His record is like yeah, it's, it's pretty like insanity. pretty close. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's crazy. He he's a guy that actually like we've we've talked about on this show before, just in terms of like when you build a program and it's like okay, what what's next? You know, like what do you do or do you just sit there right. and just dominate Division
2: three basketball? Keep doing it. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean it's it's amazing. He's he's basically. You know he's Gino Auriemma, but just on a, like a little bit of smaller scale, and people don't know it. But like, it's amazing when you look at his results. They're, I mean, they're out, just outrageous. But uh, yeah. I mean, like,
2: he he loses, he wins every game by forty, and he'll come <laughs> in and be mad the next day, and it's like All right. I love
1: it. those people, those <laughs> guys are just different. Those guys are just different, Aaron. You know, like you can't.
2: Some people, they just must be nice, must yeah. be nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's the Nick Saban thing, you know, or Dabbo Sweeney. Your kicker misses a field goal, you're up 40, and you're still screaming at him on the sidelines. And it's like, <laughs> can't ever just enjoy it, you know? All but right, yeah, um, no, never. Parting shot same two questions to every guest. I got the first one Aaron, what's the best advice you've ever been given?
2: Um, I think it's from my dad. Um, he, he told me, he told me a lot, and he continues to tell me this, uh, especially now that I'm, you know, got a lot of things on my mind, but like. He always says, don't worry about the things, don't worry or spend time on the things that you have no control over. Um, and I think that's, that's just a g- great way to kind of look at life is, you know, you can waste time on anything, but um, if you can't do anything about it, don't worry too much about it.
0: That is good advice. Face to face with your 24 year old self. What are you telling that person?
1: We got to amend that Smalls. He's only 27. That's three years ago.
0: Yeah. We got to go. We gotta go should. A little <laughs> further. should we go younger. All right, what, what are you telling yourself on your twenty-first birthday?
2: Oh yeah, let's do it. <laughs> oh god, um, I'm gonna go kind of an obscure route here. I'm gonna I would tell myself to buy a lot of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, god, smart. Yeah, who who told us uh, the stock they, uh,
1: That was Muhammad Masakoy. Right? <laughs> Muhammad Masakoy, yeah, and Dwayne Lee and Dwayne Lee had to like invest in Apple, but the bi- Bitcoin, what is it? Is that been tw- six years ago, 2013. It would have been right around like a hundred dollars
2: oh yeah Golden. yeah just buy just put all your money on it and then i mean who knows i probably i'd probably be on some island right now this is the stuff you get when you have high academic coaches on those smalls <laughs> like you're talking bitcoin <laughs> the like they love stock it.
1: market they're like what's amarin doing today you got to tell yourself to buy the bitcoin and then you got to tell yourself to sell the bitcoin in the summer of 2017 when it got to like 19 and a half thousand dollars
2: because now it's like i think it's like yeah, right around five today right yeah. now but yeah it's it's come back but like yeah if i knew if i knew when to buy in and when to get out that would have been uh that would have been nice be great advice
1: that, that that's that's <laughs> one I'll, I'll just i'll never forgive myself for not letting myself get talked out of it my now wife and my brother were like ah it's definitely not sustainable and i was ready to put like four grand in it and, you know Sometimes so. I type it into the phone and I'm like, "How much would this be worth today if I had the amount of money I wanted?" <laughs> I don't it's, think you want to do that. I think that's just a bad thing yeah. to do.
2: It'll <laughs> put you in a bad mood.
1: It's, yeah, it just it just will. But anyway, that's a that's a good spot to wrap as we're far off basketball. He is at Coach A two, the number two me on Twitter. Give him a follow. And Aaron, we appreciate you joining us. Obviously, this is a very unique season for you guys. High expectations are high, and uh, we're really excited to follow you because I think this is. lot of fun but uh thanks for coming on and chopping it up with us i know uh this has been a long time coming
2: so we appreciate it yeah thanks for having me guys that was a blast
1: all right we'll talk soon